Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Thursday, February 2nd. We are, I guess, about 24 hours removed from Dabo Swinney introducing Garrett Riley to the Clemson fan base through his uh, media press conference. Also, Dabo used this day to take some issue with the fan base, basically saying they're getting too spoiled. At TigerIllustrated.com right now, a column from yours truly, trying to assess that, put it in perspective. Who's right? Who's wrong? Actually, I don't think either side is right or wrong. I think both sides are kind of right in their positions. Anyway, check that out right now at TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864 864- 9904581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P A R H A M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson Market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Okay, one of the things I like to do is take the full sort of uncut audio from interviews I do for stories and articles at tigerillustrated.com and present them to you here in their entirety. So a few weeks ago, talked with Ruffin McNeil about his relationship with Garrett Riley. Also talked with Greg McElroy of ESPN about the Riley hire, about where things stand right now with Dabo Sweeney and the Tigers and the offense and all that. Great stuff. Every bit of this. Hope y'all enjoy. Hey, hurry up and call it. Hey, girl. You slow your butt down. Let me tell you I'm not that important. Yeah, 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 you are. I'm good. I'm good. Um wow. Yeah, this this Garrett Riley addition to Clemson is just fascinating on, on so many levels and so I, I figured I'd try to hit you up and just see what you think first of all, uh uh to see to see him over in these parts in ACC country. Well, I mean, I thought I thought it was a great, great hire. I think a lot of Garrett, uh, and I think a lot of Lincoln. Those two guys mean a lot to me differently, uh, more than coaching. They're family to me. Uh, I consider them family, but I'm proud of both of them. Uh, Garrett getting a chance to work for Dabo, and and uh, I got my I, I, I GA to Clemson. That was my first college stop. Was Clemson. 
and uh, with Coach Ford. So uh, I know uh, a little bit where about where Garrett's heading, and uh, I thought it was uh, you know Garrett's just he's one of those he's got as I like uh, for a lot of reasons love for a lot of reasons both like and love for a lot of reasons he he he's humble but very confident he's learned how to in this business which is rare but he started from the ground up and uh advanced each way and he's earned it's a very key word earned it each way up each way each advancement as well so uh i'm very proud of garrett and, and uh He's got my mentor down there as well, Woody McCorvey. And uh, so Woody is, was, is, is still, was my mentor when I first got into college coaching. And he'll be able to do the same for Garrett while he's under Dabo's reign. Oh, I, I guess I have to explore the, the Woody and Clemson angle and the roots of that, if you don't mind. Yeah, you got you got more than hey, you got more than you thought, didn't you? And it's called you got. Huh? Oh no, it's great stuff all the way around. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, fire away. I mean, I knew you were at Clemson for the year, but I didn't know the the. I was going to ask you like how two you. Seasons. I was there two years. Oh, I'm sorry, two years. Yeah, eighty five, uh, eighty five, and eighty six seasons. And how how did you end up at Clemson? Well, um, I was coaching high school at my high school, Lumberton. North Carolina, and uh, I had one of the top recruits in the country, and had a lot of coaches come through. Uh, I had been in contact with my former college coach, Pat Dye, who was at Auburn at the time, and uh, Coach Dye coached Coach Ford while at Alabama for Coach Bryant. And uh, after five years of high school coaching, I thought I wanted to try another direction in, 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 in the coaching world and uh, I can I knew it was going to be had to have to be from a at that time I call it an apprentice type but a GA spot graduate assistant position but uh, and how to get my foot in the door of college coaching and I was an older GA uh, so you know I, I was a head basketball coach head track coach just a football in high school so I was I had it, you know, I've been coaching for, you know, five years, but I had uh, reached out to Coach Dye and the staff and uh, to about getting into college coaching. At the same time, Woody was recruiting my high school and uh, as well. So once I started exploring, I had a chance to speak with Woody. We developed a relationship over this period of time of recruiting and just, I, I expressed my interest in getting into college coaching, and and uh, at that time I had a chance to a spot at uh, had a spot open at Clemson during that time, and I was able to uh, very fortunate and able to begin my college journey on the Danny Ford and at Clemson University. And that's where Woody became such a such an important mentor yes. to you. Yes, no doubt, and that was in '85. And every year since, hence, however you want to put it, and both, uh, any any questions about jobs, any questions about I had with any any uh, anything in, in this profession, would it, would it be my first call? 
And uh, it was good to see him this this year uh, when we came down and to play Clemson. It was good to see him for the game and give him a hug. But I think a lot of Woody, Woody's family to me, and I know I'm family to him. When you say that Garrett and Lincoln are also family to you, I mean, you've been around a lot of people, a lot of coaches. What was it that made the bond such a uh, such a special thing with, with those two guys? Well, I, I met both of them when I was at Texas Tech. Uh, my history, you might want to look up where I've been, but I, I was at Texas Tech for 10 years. Uh, and that's my longest stint anywhere in coaching. And uh, while I was there, I recruited all of Texas, uh, but mostly Houston, but local areas as well. And uh, Muleshoe, Texas, is a, a town not far from West Texas, not far from Lubbock, and it's located in West Texas. Well, Lincoln had made a, uh, uh, I, I came to Texas Tech and, and uh, you know, wanted to be a part of the football world and got into it as a student assistant, graduate assistant, full-time. I had a chance to name my office coordinator. And then the rest is history. At the same time, while Lincoln was 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 at Texas Tech, Garrett, who was playing high school football that time at Milshu, playing quarterback at Milshu like Lincoln, I had a chance to meet Garrett. I think it was at maybe some camps, football camps at Texas Tech, if I'm not mistaken. But we developed our relationship. Uh, I spoke at Milshu High School and there, different things, you know, just different uh events and then I had a chance to bring help Garrett get started in the coaching and then when I got the job head job at East Carolina I had a chance to bring Garrett over there where I was as well and then Jared, Garrett worked his way up you know through the, through, the, through the channels just like Lincoln and from my story you can tell why that's important for me I went from high school to graduate assistant to to uh, Austin Peay State to North Alabama to Appalachian State to so I think the development process is, is to me is very important and it's a part of my value my ethos of earn not given and uh, those those guys really impressed me that part and they didn't mind doing it that way that's why I, I always use when I'm I've done a lot of interviews on a couple interviews where well, a lot of interviews on, on on both but I always mention the words humble at the same time, confident in what they're able to do. Uh, both have, uh, Garrett has great communication skills. Uh, the staff, with the staff and with the players, great relationships to be established with the staff and with the players. Lindsey is, 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 is better three-fourths. Uh, Lindsey, his wife, will, will be a great uh, addition to the coaches, coaches' wives there. Uh, so, I think Link, I think that so you that question you asked me gets a lot of a lot of answers, doesn't it? You have a lot of answers to that one. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Is he it seems like Garrett wanted to forge his own way and, and, and not necessarily be in his brother's shadow, wanted to become his own his own guy. Am I am I am I right on that, uh, in your mind? Yeah, I agree with that. Um I think they both wanted each other. To, to to find their own path 
and um, and I think that's a sign of respect. They both love each other. I know that for a fact. And they both are have so much respect for each for one another. Uh, but as I have a other a brother as well, like Lincoln and Jared now, and a younger brother, and he wanting to forge his own path. Uh, so I agree with that assessment that, that Garrett, Garrett wanted to to establish his path, his career in his own way. <clears throat> but that's how they're built, though. They're both built the same. They want them that way. That's why I keep referring back to how they began in, in this profession. They both want to begin their own path, and they both learn from the the groundwork to, to to where they're ascending now. What an amazing uh, uh, time for the air raid disciples! Um, just sort of the that it's happening now. Um, when, when you look at what Garrett is doing with his sort of the blend that we saw at TCU and, and SMU, what are your, do you have any insight in the evolution of the air raid to the point where it can, it's sort of a modified air raid, I think is what, is what Garrett has said in terms of incorporating more tight ends and run game stuff. What, from someone with your type of expertise, um, in it, um, do you have any observations on on the evolution of it and how he sort of made it made the air raid his own, so to speak? Well, when, when I was at Texas Tech uh, and working under Mike, uh, Coach Leach, I knew exactly what I wanted to run if I ever had the opportunity to come up a head coach. But also, I've been on the defense side of football my entire life, so my advantage is I faced the offense for ten years. Also been a part of it for 10 years. And also been on defense most of all of my life. I knew what defenses did not want to see. So when I did get the head job, I knew what offense wanted to run. I had a chance to hire Lincoln. One of the things that we talked about was what part of the what part of this can be added. Tight end usage, two-back usage at times. Uh, as well as the, 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 the route scheme and route schematics. But I think what makes it difficult to defend is the tight end usage and the multiple formations and motions that have been added. But at the core, it still has the air raid uh, thought process from up-tempo to stretching the field vertically, stretching the field horizontally, and then adding a run game to it in a, in a more uh, punishing fashion. He was such a hot commodity um, uh, late this year, and it was speculated that, okay, his next stop probably be a head coaching job. From your perspective, what do you think it was that drew him to, to Dabo and his culture and sort of his vision and just his whole – is you know just the what Debo has built here instead of waiting his turn and and uh, and, and and head coach being his next stop from TCU. Well, I, I think you know it's with, with all of us are and and I call them and my all of the family. It's also who 
it's also who you work with. Where is very important, but it's also who I think working with with for and with Dabo was was a uh, a big deal for Garrett. Uh, Clemson was also the added attraction, and I'm a Clemson grad in the form. So, but I think who you work with is important to both of those to the guys, but especially Garrett, and, and, and as well as where. But who is as 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 if not maybe it'd be a little more important. I think getting a chance to work with Jabo uh, had a lot to do with it as well. But uh, you know, they both create their own paths, and they have created their own paths, and their stops could be both of them have NFL type ability and head coaching ability, but they they move at their pace that they. They want to keep developing their craft as well. So, but I thought the opportunity to work with Dabo was 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 big. I would think it would be big for Garrett because Dabo is one of the best in the business. I think a lot of Dabo. I think I think a lot of, around the country. Uh, I know him and Dave are very very close as well. I hit my boss. So, uh, you know, I think Garrett. That's that's how they that's that's how they they operate in my opinion, and uh, may not be exact, but that's how I think. I mean, he takes takes that that was important to him. What do you think he could achieve at this stop that he didn't at at TCU? Uh, that's not that's that's the question he's been asked after he's there. I think Garrett can achieve what he wants to achieve. He's that. With, with the, the, these skills, he's got great communication skills, great relationship skills, which are very important and are a key ingredient ingredients in this business that sometimes are not mentioned. But having relationships and being able to communicate with young people, as well as as, as older people, which he can do both, are very uh, are very important. So I think. Garrett can achieve whatever he he, he, he decides to achieve. Sounds that like makes sense. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Okay, and it sounds like maybe holistically, spiritually, um, he and Dabo very much aligned in, in that way as well. I, I don't think so. I, 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 matter of fact, that was he's probably said that. I'm not, with, with, you know, but yes, I, I could agree with that. Sonny Dykes said that Garrett was more mature at 20 years old than Sonny was at 30 something. Is that is the maturity something that you saw early yeah. on as being as standing out? I agree. They both. I think they both. You know, their parents did a great job raising those two boys. Number one, because they're very polite. They're very. Uh, they, the golden rule of treating treating others as you want to be treated. They treat everybody with humble humbleness and respect. And not everybody knows that or learns that at an early age. Garrett Garrett has, and so is Lincoln. I was fortunate to have that same raising, and maybe I, maybe why we click so much because that's how I was raised by my mom and dad too as well. What's it like balancing the the love and the family, uh, being proud of uh, of, of the guy of, of Garrett with 
uh, he's chief competition oh, in, in my conference. That's a part of it. In this business, you're going to face it. I face it now more. I face now, this is my start my 44th season of coaching. Wow. So I face more ex-players and co ex-co-workers now than I ever have. I, I was keeping track with, one, I think it was last year, former players and who are coaching. Uh, I, see him, uh, I see him on TV on Saturday and Sunday coaching the NFL. You know, uh, so the competition factor, <coughs> excuse me, we both, we all have that same competition factor, but the love and friendship is, 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 is always one. But we're also the competition factor, too. When was the last time you communicated with him? Uh, constantly. I communicate, I communicate with Garrett constantly. All of them. So, he's going come back later. Yeah, yeah. so, communicated. Is, is when he got the job here, was it something you saw out there in the media or what did you, were you, or were you aware of it before, before it, it got out? Now, let me ask you something. What, what, what do you think the answer is? <laughs> I, I, I never, I never, no, no, be, uh, what do you think the answer is? My job is to never think I know an answer. <laughs> <laughs> but you talk to me now. It's just great to see him. Great to see Garrett do things he wants to do, and he and Lindsey, uh, they both do things that are family first around all decisions. Remember, it's who, not where, uh, and everything is based on what's best for the family. So, I'm happy to see Garrett. I know he made a decision. He and Lindsey together, uh, but based on that was what's best for the family. That's a good answer, wasn't it? That's a great answer. Let's say it. I'm old school now. You can't trick me. I'm really like old school. Hey, you do the math. I've been interviews that I've done a lot, right? (laughs) You can't trick me. So you're just... (laughs) I wasn't trying to trick you. I know you wasn't. (laughs) Um, I'm just teasing with you now. Yeah, I hear you. Can can we explore the J.C. Harper angle? Oh, man. Mm. I love J.C. Coach Harper, his dad, Coach Hawks, Silver Fox, was the defense coordinator at Clemson when I GA. And I learned so much from him. J.C. was a player at the time uh, at Clemson. J.C. also uh, had a chance to uh, uh, so I love JC. I love Tom Jr. I love the family. So they were a big part of my development as a coach. So I think I think the world JC JC's uh, coach coaches kids. I have a special place in my heart for the coaches kids because I'm one. But JC was a player at Clemson while I was GA and graduate assistant there. And then he was back in Texas, and then uh, and yep. sort of part of that air raid tree as well. That's just kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah. JC was there, and I think I had a chance to talk to JC about Garrett. And uh, but yeah, small world. It's a small world, isn't it? Yeah. When did it you really talk? Is. 
when did you talk to JC about Garrett? Back when Garrett was going, was there, when JC was there, I talk, I communicated with JC a lot when he was coaching in Texas. Pretty fascinating. Yes. What did you take from your two years at Clemson through the rest of your career? Uh, I, I learned a lot. I had experiences, coaches that had, I mentioned Tom Hopper, Tommy West, uh, Brother Oliver, Chuck Reedy, Woody McCorvey, I already mentioned. Uh, you know, so many, so many really, really special coaches there. Coach Ford was amazing. So, uh, organization, team organization, uh, preparation for, uh, uh, the, the years, the seasons, the games, and all the categories that preparation falls into. Uh, hard work, which I was used to, but it was good to know that. And then fundamentals are never lost in this game, no matter what offense, no matter what defense, no special teams. Fundamentals are never lost. And I, from 1985 to right now in 2023, I believe in that wholeheartedly. What was your most indelible memory from those two years here? What was the most? Yes, sir. Oh, man. Uh, I didn't make much money. <laughs> so it could have been that. <laughs> I put relationships. Because all the guys, all the people I named have all helped me. Coach Ford. Helped me along the way with job recommendations. Some I never knew about. He would call anyway ahead, without, and then would tell me. Uh, Woody McCorvey, I've already mentioned, uh, a mentor. Tommy West, who I worked under as a GA, mentored, uh, put my name out uh, for jobs when I was once I finished GA my GA graduate assistantship there. Uh, relationships I would say uh, and how they've impacted my life I'm not where I am right now in college ball without their support nowhere nowhere near where I am right now in college ball without that group support and it all stems from playing for Coach Dye and who again Coach Coach Ford while working with Coach Bear Bryant and Bear Bryant used to come out of practices all the time when I was at East Carolina. That's where Coach Bryant, that's where Coach Dye coached me. So everything stemmed from my relationship with Coach Dye, who had coached Coach Ford, who would, you know, now you sort of see the tree, so that a little bit. I called about one tree and I learned of another. Another tree, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, isn't that funny? Isn't that wild? You, you know, let me call this dude here. Yeah, yeah. God darn it, I got to get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? Let me do, it always happens like that. They don't, I get calls, and, you know, and by the end of it, you go, you know what? That was a pretty good call right there. Yeah. I'm glad to talk to you. Hope I helped, I hope I helped a little bit. And Absolutely. You already talked to Garrett already? You talked to Garrett? I have not. But uh, tell him that. Say, just, just say this to me. Say, what's up? Say, say, tell I'm proud of you, G. I call him G. 
Somebody told me he's very proud of you, G. That's what I call him. I love that boy. Love all of them. Him and Lincoln. I'll do that. Can I ask you one more question? Yes. Uh, Why do you think Lincoln, I'm sorry, Garrett never ended up, didn't end up at Oklahoma when Lincoln was there? You already answered that one. You're smart. You said they want to establish what? You remember you asked me that? Yeah. It's on what? Yeah, there you go. You answered that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought you were talking about. There are different paths, and they both think the same way. Lincoln wants Garrett to establish his own path. Garrett wants to establish his own path, just like Lincoln wants to establish his. But Lincoln wants Garrett, wanted Garrett to establish his own path, not be attached to him. I think that's coming forth with, right? Mm, yeah. Pretty good. And when Lincoln went to Oklahoma, you didn't think twice in promoting Garrett in, 15, I guess it was 15, right? No, no, it was done the same day. Lincoln knew it. We all knew it. And then one of my other friends who just passed away, David Nickel, who, that's a, that's another whole story. But Coach Nickel just passed too, but yeah, it was already, when, when Lincoln left, I hate to see him go, but that's another story. You know, it's about Garrett, so that's another Lincoln story later on. Yes, it was no hesitation in moving Garrett up. Matter of fact, it was done instantly. Same day. The same second. Same second. Yeah, I mean, Lincoln knew he was gone. I told Lincoln I got Garrett. I got to take care of G. I got him. He's doing like in, in seconds, not minutes. What's different about him? Uh, that's another whole conversation there. <laughs> They're both... The similarities are more that come to mind than differences, if that makes any sense. The similarities I keep talking about, the respect, the the, the, the humbleness, the confidence in themselves, belief, but the humbleness uh, is very gonna be, will be very evident. So with the confidence, and it's, it's a humbled confidence is the best way to put it. But what makes it is the relationships he's going to establish there and the communication skills that both of them have and the loyalty you'll see that if you're in the eastern midlands and pd area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864 326 35 
800-242-5507. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. I want to expand on what we were talking about yesterday. Just really interesting, uh, just sort of where Clemson is right now. You know, obviously not just with the the Garrett Riley hire, but I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on sort of, it's kind of a fascinating juncture right now, I guess not just with Clemson, but with, you know, Alabama trying to recharge and re-energize and figured you'd be a good person to talk to. Like, what are your, what are your general, what's your general take on where Clemson is? Um, you know, of course with Georgia really asserting its dominance and, and Clemson sort of trying to, figure out how to get back yeah I mean um, I'd be lying if I didn't think the two were a little bit related Uh, I I think if you look at just the sheer quantity of players that Clemson's relied on during their run of of great success I mean so many of those guys were from Georgia Uh, and Kirby has kind of locked down the state to a certain extent with, you know, some of the guys that he's been able to keep at home. Um, I mean, for instance, shoot, both Deshaun and Trevor, both coming from Georgia. Like, I don't know if they go to Clemson now, you know, if the same situation presents itself. Right. So I think Kirby uh, has done a pretty good job of kind of edging them out, but there's enough guys to go around. It's just, everybody's in Georgia and everybody's trying to get into Georgia, but Clemson had a pretty nice foothold there uh, for a little bit. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm not pressing the panic button on Clemson at all. Uh, but I also think there, there were some major benefits that Clemson experienced in the last decade, given the fact that it was in some ways a very manageable league, you know, and they could kind of figure themselves out over the course of the season and maybe play their C game in some cases and still win. Maybe in some cases play their D game and slightly lose, still make it in the playoff. But by the time the playoffs rolled around, they were playing really, really high-level football, right? They were a team that traditionally really improved over the course of time, but they were benefited by the fact that they they could allow themselves to improve. Um, They don't necessarily have that luxury, Right now, I think the ACC is much stronger um, with the emergence of Florida State. Uh, NC State's obviously put together a very consistent program. Uh, you know, obviously Pitt has has done a pretty decent job in recent years. Um, Miami, you got to feel like at some point they're going to be a factor. So I I just think the ACC is strengthening. I think that's part of the reason why maybe people aren't as bullish on Clemson as they once were, because it's a little bit cloudier in that league. It's not like a one team league, like it was for so dang long. How many Clemson games did you do this year? Uh, Just the one, the orange bowl. Oh, okay. The only one. For some reason, I thought you did more. We, do, we've done, we usually do like two or three a year, and this year, for whatever reason, we just didn't have that many. 
What was your, as you're walking out of the Orange Bowl that night after Clemson scores one touchdown and they have, you know, some mismanagement at the quarterback position, maybe even the offensive uh, clock management and all that at the end of the first half. What's your take on them at that point? And is it, boy, they really need, they really need something new here, um, perhaps coaching wise. Well, I think there it was very easy, and, and I think Clemson fans took to it. Um, and I think most people that watch college football take to it, too, because if you just watch it, it's like, well, DJ Uyunglele is not playing great football. I mean, he's just not. Um, just There's something missing there, right? So I'm not going to say that he was a scapegoat, but I think he was made a scapegoat for Clemson's disappointments over the course of a two-year period, and everyone's kind of point to, oh, well, hey, fresh start, Cape Klubnik's the answer. Like, we're going to be fine now. Like, let's just, you know, now that Cape Klubnik's finally getting his chance, Dabo was loyal to DJ Uyunglele, you know, almost to a fault, and, you know, all of our problems are going to go away now that we're making the change at quarterback. I think that was the notion for a lot of folks, and, and I think that that was very unfair. And leading up to the Orange Bowl, I went back and watched every snap that Cade Klubnik took that season, the whole year. And there were some really, really good plays made, but there were some also really bad decisions made as well. And he showed his youth a little bit. So I can understand why D- why DJ was still the starter all the way up until the ACC championship game. Like, I could see it on the tape. It was very obvious. It's not like... Dabo had this blind spot as it relates to DJ and that he was going to start him come hell or high water. No, I mean, DJ was more risk averse and wasn't going to put the team in harm's way. And Dabo probably thought he was going to be able to run the ball great and the quarterback would kind of just be a, a game manager, so to speak. Um, but, I, you know, I think Cade's got, he's got some juice. I think he's a good athlete. Um, I think he needs to get a lot stronger. I think he needs to get a lot bigger because he's just not a real big guy. And if he wants to rely on his athleticism as much as he does, he, he needs to be able to take the hits that he's probably going to have to take um, in the run game. And, and he's not there yet. And he's under 200 pounds. So um, he's a work in progress at this point. Uh, he's not, you know, Trevor Lawrence. And and that's okay. Most guys aren't. Um but that's the expectation when a five-star freshman comes into Clemson that he's going to be the next Trevor or Deshaun, and that's just not a fair expectation for anybody. It's interesting because after the ACC championship game where Cade played so well, it was as if most everyone was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, they're going to take off and never look back. Uh, I guess it's that recent, you know, recency <laughs> bias that infects a lot of folks. But you were more, you had more balance, I guess, as as you weighed that to what you saw on film uh, of him previous to that game. Well, with with true freshman, you're going to have. I mean, he's a five star for a reason. So what I've always noticed with young guys that have a lot of talent. And a saying that always stuck with me, um, 
you know, as a player, I was very up and down early in my career. And I saw other five stars that came in that were very similar. It's a very normal progression. You make unbelievable plays and your highs are too high for the highs, but your lows are too low for the lows. And I like over the course of your career, you want that to balance out. You want your floor to get up there a little bit closer to your ceiling and to have a little bit more predictable output every single week. That's very natural in anyone's progression. But when you're a five star, I mean, your ceiling's outrageous, but your floor, you're going to make some freshman mistakes. Uh, and that was on display in the Orange Bowl. Um, and let's let's be honest, man. I mean. North Carolina's not good defensively. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's about as easy as it gets. And he made some great throws in that game. But uh, that's not you know, championship caliber defense that he faced. And Clemson's expectations are to win championships. I mean, it's as simple as that. And I'm not talking ACC championships. I'm talking college football playoff wins and national championships. And North Carolina's defense... Uh, is not up to par. So it's one thing to shine against competition like that, but it goes up at least one, maybe two, maybe three more levels as you start to play against better personnel on that side of the ball. So um, I would expect them to shine in that situation. But when you can really separate the men from the boys is when you shine against top defenses like Deshaun did and like Trevor did on so many different occasions over the course of their career. There's so much focus on the quarterback position, you know, like you said, with Cade being sort of unfairly measured against those two guys. When you look at Clemson at the receiver spot, how do you evaluate it? And do you say, gosh, what, you know, why aren't they better? Or do you say, it follows somewhat the same line as quarterback where eh, it's just kind of unfair to compare these guys to T Higgins, Mike Williams, healthy Justin Ross and down the line. Well, I mean, that's, that's also another big part of it. Um, I mean, the quarterback, you cannot play by yourself. I mean, just, and if your personnel on the perimeter and the game now, you know, as much as ever before, um, it's very much weapon driven. And that's why the Cincinnati Bengals passed on Panay Sewell the year after Joe Burrow tears his ACL as a rookie. They pass on the franchise left tackle in favor of Jamar Chase in the draft and find their way to the Super Bowl. Because it's very much matchup driven. You gotta be able to create favorable matchups, you gotta be able to uh, you know, take advantage of one on one coverage, and you gotta have guys that are really, really reliable that can win consistently. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I mean I don't I don't feel like Clemson's had anywhere near that type of juice on the perimeter in a while. And it's not to say they won't get there with Antonio Williams and you know, the young kid, I forget him, I'm blanking on his name, what, 22? Yeah. Kid from Birmingham. Cole Turner. Um, Cole Turner. Yeah, Nolan's brother. Uh, I mean, it's not that they won't get there, but they're young right now. And, and really, the, the biggest disappointment about Clemson the last couple of years has been their personnel at wide receiver. Uh, not as much this year, but they were kind of a one, 
one-man show at receiver this year. Like Joseph Ngata never became what we thought he was going to become. Uh, you know, others maybe just not as consistent and not as much of a takeover the game type of guy. But I mean, when the expectation is Mike Williams and T Higgins and you know Amari Rogers and these guys and you know he. Uh, you know, Will, I mean, not not Will, so he's the kid in Oakland now, uh, Hunter Renfro. Like, when you have guys that are really, really good, uh, it's a lot, whole heck of a lot easier to play quarterback. But when you have average dudes, uh, it's a whole heck of a lot easier to look average at quarterback, too. What was your initial reaction, not only to Dabo deciding to make a change at OC and get rid of Streeter after just one year, but then his ability to go land the big fish in in in, in Riley. Um. Well, I mean, I I think that it was a necessary change. I mean, no, and I like Brandon a lot. I mean, I I think he's a good coach. Uh, but as much of an issue with him was maybe not even so much the XO and the offensive plans and and that, but uh the lack of development that DJ Uyunglele showed. Like that's, that falls on his hands. Uh, and that's, you know, look, it's not totally his fault, but you know, there are variables there that, uh, you know, ultimately the buck stops with the OC uh, as far as quarterback development's concerned. So, you know, I, I feel bad for Brandon. I think it's a tough spot. Uh, but if you can go out and get a notable upgrade at the position, um, a guy that comes in having done what he did last year with the quarterback play that he put on display last year um, and creating the problems defensively that Garrett created all season long, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't hate swinging your sword. Like, you don't make that move unless you know you have an obvious upgrade. I mean, they weren't they weren't fire, firing Brandon because they stunk offensively. They're firing Brandon because they could upgrade at the position, and that's that's the way I interpreted it. I think you're exactly right. I don't, had he had he not been able to get Garrett, I don't. I mean, I think Brandon's no, back for another year. Move. Yeah, there might have been like I actually thought they were going to go and bring back Jeff Scott. You know, I thought they might go in that direction. Um, I think maybe the biggest thing is know that there's accomplished coaches from the family uh, that were out there and he opted to go in a different direction is what's most interesting to me. Um, I mean, you got Jeff Scott out there, Chad Morris is out there somewhere, like guys that have been there before and that have had success calling plays there before uh, that are available. Um, and he opted to go, you know, in a little bit different direction from a philosophy standpoint, which I don't know if it's telling, but it, it was just a little bit eye-opening to me. If a Clemson fan is sitting here having not watched any of TCU, having not watched any of SMU the previous two years, asks you, hey, how are we going to be different? How is this offense going to be different under Garrett? What would be your sort of – your top paragraph, your most important sort of distinction you would make? Um, well, I mean, the biggest thing is they, they want to stretch the field. Uh, I mean, it's as simple as that. Stretching the field is of the utmost importance. 
to everyone that comes from that tree. And it's not just stretching the field vertically. It's stretching the field horizontally as well. Um, they do a pretty good job of forcing the defense to declare. Basically, they they are going to get wide splits, and you got to decide before the snap, hey, do I take away the run or do I take away the pass? Because if I take away the pass, we're going to run it. Uh, and we have a quarterback that's mobile, so if the defensive end crashes and tackles the running back, he can pull it and take it himself. Uh, if a guy decides to blitz late, that quarterback can pitch it out to the outside at the line of scrimmage real quick, and they get a couple guys blocking, and they get one-on-ones, and the guys can be good after the catch. Um, it's very much numbers-driven, uh, and it's very much about you know pre-snap decision-making. Um, now, there are some post-snap answers that are built in as well, but it's a lot of pre-snap decision-making that forces the defense's hands to decide hey, what do we want to take away? And, you know, then the quarterback has to make the decision accordingly. And it sounds like even though Sonny is an offensive guy, that, that Garrett kind of, it was his, he, he ran the show. Is that your understanding as well? Yes, that Garrett was uh, the play caller, but I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure Sonny was involved, but, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I'm sure that I mean, I'm sure Sonny definitely had a had a say and, and weighed in on offensive plans, but I don't think it's you know it would come as a hindrance with taking Garrett by himself. Like Garrett will be he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I mean, I'm not worried about you know. Oh, well, you take him away from Sonny, does he lose his magic? Like, no, that, that wouldn't that wouldn't keep me up at night. Dabo, obviously an offensive guy, he's been involved um, his entire head coaching career, you know, carries around the play sheet. I don't think he calls plays very much, but he's still involved. If you're in Dabo's shoes right now with the sort of juncture they're at with their offense, do you say, all right, I'm I'm going to – I'm going to just leave it all to, to Garrett. I'm going to, I'm going to step away and be even more of a CEO type, or do you remain involved in the offense if you're Dabo? No, I, I'm taking a knee if I'm Dabo. Like I just paid $5.2 million over the next three years with a $300,000 signing bonus to what I think is the top offensive coordinator in the country. Like I'm not going to – I have a big problem with head coaches that meddle. I just don't like it. I think it's ridiculous. I mean, Gus Malzahn used to do it all the time. It just drives me nuts. Like, it's okay. It's okay to make a suggestion. Like, hey, you know, maybe consider this here. Uh, you know, hey, maybe you know, take a peek at what that backside safety is doing. Or, hey, you got a good matchup out here at corner. Maybe we take a shot. Hey, I want to, I want you to go for it on fourth down. So, uh, you know, get yourself into fourth and manageable. Like, it's okay to make a suggestion, but. Uh, when you're a rhythmic play caller like Garrett is, Dabo needs to stay out of it, in my opinion. Um, like him meddling is only going to disrupt the rhythm you know, of the Broyles Award winner, which does no good for the offense whatsoever. Plus, Dabo's not a play caller. Like Dabo, no, Dabo is very self-aware, I feel like. Maybe I'm wrong. You might know better than I do, but I think Dabo understands his strengths and weaknesses. And 
Dabo's not a play caller. That's not that's not what he's done. He's a CEO type. He's a good he's a good rah rah speaker. He's a good organizer. Um, he's delegated responsibility to great coordinators in the past. And I, you know, I don't see why that would be any different with Garrett at the helm. If you're Garrett Riley, and your next stop could have easily been head coach, what do you have to gain in leaving TCU to come to Clemson? Uh, I think that's a very fair question. Um, I think it's a really good question, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think some people were a little bit soured by the offense's performance in the national championship, or lack thereof. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, they, they did not play well. And, and I'm not going to suggest that he's concerned about next year replicating the success, but how could they? Yeah. Like, let's be real. I mean, what are the odds of having a Heisman Trophy runner-up at quarterback? I mean, the first finalist for the Heisman from that school in a very long time, becoming the off-season study of every team in the Big 12. Uh, knowing that next year you're going in as the hunted, not the hunter. Um, and the fact that they had, what, five second half comebacks man like they caught lightning in a bottle and the stars aligned like that's not going to be replicated next year and i look as good as he is and as good as sunny is like if they did it again next year like all right yeah he'd have his pick of the litter of jobs but if they go from 13 and 2 to 7 and 5 or 8 and 4 you know guess what he's gonna get killed so I think he kind of got out in front of it, knew that this year was magical and special, and he's getting a, you know, he's getting a, he's stepping into a role that traditionally uh, has placed coordinators in head jobs elsewhere. I mean, how many, how many by before Streeter, how many coordinators for Clemson have gone on to get head coaching jobs? Uh, Elliot Morris. Elliot Morris, Jeff Scott, mm-hmm. uh, Venables, uh, the uh, I mean, Kevin Steele was in some ways a coordinator, head coach at one point. Billy Napier, I know that like they did unceremonious endings at Clemson, but like both. Obviously, like, Kevin Steele was going to be Tennessee's head coach for a minute and, like, had a groundswell of support to be Auburn's head coach and, you know, all this other stuff. So, you look back at the track record in the last 10 years, if you're a coordinator at Clemson, the likelihood of you being a head coach at some point is pretty dang high. Mm. Greg, what do you make of the – it's just such a – I think coordinator at Clemson is, like, one of the best jobs you can have personally like i think it's a great gig yeah you can put up big numbers in the acc get some get a few great players and yeah you have an established program you like uh you have an established culture you recruit good guys you know like they have good guys on their roster it's you know high character team uh for the most part right i mean you yeah you have guys that want to win uh, you have a supportive fan base that you know will contribute and and provide the resources. You have a head coach that delegates responsibility, like or uh, I 
guess the perception is that he delegates responsibility. I, you know, I don't know exactly what the you know, how that all goes, but yeah, I mean, traditionally it's been an excellent gig. You were part of an Alabama program that was really sort of finding its edge and hungry, and it just came naturally because it was early in the process. As you look at Clemson and Alabama right now, is a common thread to you maybe two programs that are, aside from the Jimmys and Joes part, which obviously is, is important as we've discussed, but have both of those programs kind of lost some of their edge that is so hard to maintain when you're at or near the top? Well, I think it's difficult. Um, I think it's a little bit difficult just because I think guys come in and they just expect because they're four and five star players that the success continues. And, you know, I think they, they think that winning is a birthright and it's, it's hard to win. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, SC, Georgia. It doesn't matter. It's hard to win, man. Like when you're at the top, it's harder because you're getting everyone's best shot. So I've never subscribed to the idea that, you know, just the most talented team wins every week. I, I don't believe in that theory. I think the most prepared team wins every week. Um, you just have more margin for error when you have more talent. And uh, I think when you're at the top and everyone's telling you how great you are, it's a lot tougher to do the little things that are required to put forth a quality effort each week. I mean, it looked to me like Tennessee, that they were the physically superior team against Clemson, which we're not used to. That's different, at least from what I've been used to. Uh, is that something that you see as well? Well, I think there's I think there's a little bit of a misconception with Tennessee, too. Like They went into that game with a bit of a chip on their shoulder, um, obviously missed out on the playoff. Uh and there's a perception that if you run tempo spread offense, you're soft. Like that's that's the perception. Now, fair or unfair, but there's a perception that surrounds that. And Tennessee was trying to, um, you know, distance themselves from that perception. So they came into it with, you know, all points bulletin, try to run the line of scrimmage, and they did that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was a little surprised that Clemson's offensive line got destroyed the way they did. Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I if I said I wasn't surprised by that. But that group is perennially disappointing. I mean, I, I know it sounds bad, like, and Clemson fans get beside themselves about, well, we have this, we have that. You know, look at the Jackson Carmen and this. You know, it's like, all right, great. But if you look at the other teams that are consistently competing at the top of college football, there's one noticeable difference between their rosters and Clemson's roster, and it's perennial NFL draft picks along the offensive line. And I, I don't know why that is. I, I don't know what leads to that, but you look at Ohio State, you look at Georgia, you look at Bama. I mean, how many countless first-round picks have those teams had? And look, don't get me wrong, like you, I think you can survive in college football without first-round picks across the board along the offensive line. I think you obviously can. Clemson has, by the way, to the tune of two national championships. But that's been the position where they have not been uh, 
on the same playing field as some of their competitors at the top. So I don't know what they need to do to get that addressed, but uh, it's a pretty stark difference when you look at the sheer numbers of guys that those other programs are putting in the league compared to Clemson. Does Clemson get another national championship in the next five years? Uh, If I had to bet, I'd say no right now. Just I just think the ACC's. I think the ACC's stronger um, right now than they've been. Uh, I think that in the twelve-team playoff, there's going to be more access for teams like Georgia and for teams like Ohio State. Um, I have not looked at Clemson's recruiting class. Uh, full disclosure, so I don't know exactly what they have coming in right now. But I know that you know they're not really at this point interested in doing a lot of business in the portal, which I'm great with. I think that's the right thing to do long term. Uh, but I, you know, I have my doubts about an ACC team being competitive at the highest heights of college football right now. I just do. Uh, the SEC appears to have distanced themselves, and I think the Big Ten, when the new contract starts up in 24, is only going to have more resources. Uh, and and more opportunities to fill those twelve playoff spots. So Clemson getting in, sure, yeah, they could get a first round bye, but now you got to win three games in the playoffs as opposed to two. And I obviously think that's that much more difficult to do when you're playing against a team that might have a deeper roster. We've talked all this time and haven't even mentioned the other side of the ball, where uh, some guy named Wes Goodwin uh, took over for Brent Venables. What's your take on that? Is the jury still out on him in your mind? And, and what's your feeling on, on how that, that has worked out just one year in? I really like him. Um, I think he does a good job. Obviously, I always look at it from a quarterback's perspective. I think he makes it difficult on quarterbacks. Uh, and you know, if you're doing that right now, the name of the game, in a lot of ways, is confusion and, and trying to create issues for the opposing passer. And, and I think he does a good job. I, you know, I think that... Um, their personnel is I don't think it's quite what people have made it out to be, you know, with all due respect to some of the guys along the line of scratch. I mean, it's not put it this way, it's not the twenty eighteen team along the line of scrimmage. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean good players. No doubt good like Brian Brzee, great player, right? But is he Christian Watkins? Or Christian Wilkins, excuse me? Like I I don't think so. I don't think he's quite as crafty, right? Um, you know, is there a Cleveland Farrell coming off the edge? Uh, you know, not not so much, right? So, you know, I, I think that it's a little, and I think Bama's suffering a bit from this as well. Uh, I think Ohio State, to a certain extent, is suffering from this. Some um, is that those teams used to go like eight, nine, ten deep along the defensive line of scrimmage, like without much drop off, and now it's like, man. Like, only Georgia has game wreckers, it feels like. And I don't know why that is, but at least that's the way it felt last year. I mean, you look at just the defensive lines across all of college football. It's just the depth along the line of scrimmage. Like, Bama's got Will Anderson, right? Like, everyone's got, like, one, maybe two. But they used to have, like, five. And I'm not, I'm not really sure why that is. It just feels like it's a little bit more spread out. All right. Hope you enjoyed both of those. Really appreciate both Greg and Ruffin sharing their time with us. Also appreciate the support of our very 
loyal sponsors for helping make this happen. And then, of course, thanks to every one of you for listening every week. We'll be back, of course, next week. Cheers. Cheers.